This is the last of the Jesus said what on the cross. Um, We're going to focus in on one verse, verse 46. Uh, But we have to know the context of that. So we're really going to look at Luke 23, 44 through 49. So it's 44 through 49. And I will read it. I will allow you to stand, if you will, out of the reverence of the word. And if you're not able, that's fine. You can stay where you are. Uh, It's a short few verses. Let me start. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. While the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Be seated. So one sentence recorded in verse 46 That'll be our focus. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Staying in our theme of Jesus said what on the cross, those are his words. That's what he had said. But if I limit this to just those words, you really don't get the idea of the context. So I am going to focus on those words. That'll be the the thrust of the sermon But we got to cover a couple things that would be missing if if that were all I did. So I'll touch on those relatively quickly. Um, The darkness over the whole land that is the beginning. I'll let you refer to the timeline that's in the bulletin. It's it's pretty nice. It starts at the sixth hour. This is early in the morning. Or at the sixth hour, the the darkness came. Uh, He had already hung on the cross for about six hours. And then three of relative silence and he had said no words during those and in that time those three hours this darkness came over the land and and the darkness is both physical which it really happened I mean it was actually dark and it's also symbolic and I I think of other places in the Bible where we'll get that idea that um, sin is represented by darkness uh, John 1, 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Or John three nineteen, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. So I'm thinking, might these three hours of darkness or darkness is actually over the land, might they have been when evil had its way with Jesus, that the judgment that's known in darkness is, is also, all of that is compiled into those three hours before Jesus was ready to speak again. You know, darkness is a sign of judgment. And we could see that in Amos, Amos 8, 
It's a prophecy of judgment. Uh, its judgment was God separating himself from the people of Israel. And in verses 9 and 10, it says, On that day, declares the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon, and I will darken the earth in broad daylight. Exactly what happened at this time. So Jesus was not metaphorically taking on the sins of man. He was physically taking them on. And he was taking them on in judgment. Was that darkness when all this was happening? No man could bear that judgment. Only Jesus, the perfect God-man, could. And then the curtain. You know, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Matthew and Mark both recorded as being torn from the top. First off, that from the top down, you've got to realize this, this curtain is 30 cubits tall. You know, a cube could be 18 inches, 24 inches, somewhere around 45 to 60 feet high. There's not a man who's going to climb up on a ladder and start the little tear. This was not an act of man. This was an act of God. It's, a, it's significant. It was too thick for a man to do anyway. The, the thickness of a man's palm. I mean, I, this carpet that I'm standing on isn't anywhere near that thick. So you just can't imagine a human having anything to do with this. Fully an act from heaven of God. And secondly, more importantly, uh, is the divide between man and God. What this curtain, what his purpose was. It was to divide man from God because God was not going to have sinful man stand before him. Uh, it's lucky if the priest who went in there would be able to come out alive. Um, so this, this curtain being torn is removing that barricade. So now man can stand before God, declared blameless, righteous. You know, I'll, I'll refer you to Hebrews 9. I'm not going to go into it now because we're not doing a, dig, a, a deep dive on, on this particular thing. But in Hebrews 9, you can see all the elements of the, the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, especially the holy place, is spoken of and how it relates to Jesus. So whether that's in a, a small group study or, or an independent meditation time, I'll let you choose to reflect on that. <clears throat> so that's Hebrews 9, if you want to make a note of it. What else won't I dive into? Uh, the centurion that praised God and said, certainly this man was innocent. Centurions hold a special place in the Bible. Uh, it was noticed not very long ago in the sermon that I had done uh, that you always found centurions caring for the gospel whether they were protecting Paul in his trials, keeping him from being thrown overboard so the gospel could go forward. Well, here we have an image where the first centurion, you might say, is, is a convert. He, he, he agrees. He agrees with God that this man was not guilty. Uh, this instant conversion was due to him witnessing the events. Uh, for here, I'll only comment that it, it's, a, it's a picture of what testimony can mean. I mean, he saw it happening and he believed. Well, the same thing could go forward from us. 
I mean, we have to tell the story of the gospel. We let, let others know what the life of Jesus was so that they can hear it, they can know it, and then they could believe and they could agree that he was an innocent man who hung on a cross for us. And then the crowd seeing all this return to their home, beating their breasts. You know, to me, that's just a sign of, of a guilt that they felt. These were the same people that were crying, crucify him. If not all, at least a lot of them were in the middle of the crowd saying, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. I, I can't imagine if you had been one of those and then saw what had happened and realized with the centurion that this man was innocent, that he was a son of God, that you would go home thinking, what have I done? What have I done? Well, that's what each of us can still do today. We can think, my sins put Jesus on the cross. What have I done? What have I done? But you don't have to, because God in his love has forgiven us. That's no longer a guilt cry. We no longer need to beat our breasts in guilt. It just doesn't belong to a Christian. God's love belongs to a Christian. So hallelujah to that. We are forgiven. And then it speaks of his acquaintances and women from Galilee who watched these things. Uh, and I think it's important that the, the women who followed him from Galilee were given special attention, special mention in the, in the word. Um, some of them would even be mentioned at his burial and his resurrection. And unlike the culture of the day that, that held women in a lower standard than men, really weren't um, recorded as somebody to be listened to. They were supposed to be quiet in their place, do their tasks. But Scripture is not that way. It's not that way at all. It hasn't been from the start. It's always given women an equal standing. It, it doesn't matter where their position is, whether a person is a slave or a rich person, they still have a standing before God that is equal. But these women, with their special mention, I, I'm going to guess here, this, this is not necessarily biblical, but it is an opinion that I have from the Bible, and that is that women's special place may be from, well, a sexist would say, <laughs> that, that women are more emotional. Women look to their hearts much faster than men do. And, and some men the opposite, some women the opposite. But in general, I think that's true. And when their hearts lead them, wouldn't it make perfect sense that the very thing that Jesus is looking for, your heart, that if that's what's leading you, you have a better opportunity to understand Jesus. And you would want to be one of these women who is caring for him through the crucifixion, after the crucifixion, you're just somehow connected closer. But like I say, that, that's my opinion. You'll go with it where you will. So with those, those extra verses out of the way uh, and without deep inspection on them, I'll return to the key verse. The words Christ actually spoke on the cross, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. 
We want to be mindful of that sentence in three ways. Its context, in its entirety as a standalone sentence, and then broken down in three parts. The context is what we just read, verses 44 through 49, the extra verses that I only slightly mentioned. As a standalone sentence, we see a prayer. This is Jesus talking to the Father, God. Not unlike we do when we get personal and speak with God. Those are prayers. It's a prayer here too. Anytime anyone, including Jesus Christ, talks with God, you can consider that a prayer. It wasn't really a prayer that was asking for something, although in some context it was. Uh, mostly it was a statement. And you can do the same. Not all prayers have to be that of petition. Some prayers are just agreeing with God and say, Lord, I love you. That's a prayer. And that's something we can all do. And probably most of you frequently do. It was full of faith and full of expectation. You know, two weeks, John, in, in fact, in your bulletin, in the very front, it says that John Hansen's delivering this message. So John, I'm going to speak, you're going to speak through me here, buddy. So I'll bring your words back to the pulpit. John made it very, he did a great job of expressing the, the unity that Christ has with the Father. And, and almost always referred to God as the Father. But there was a short time that he didn't when he was forsaken. It's God and Jesus were temporarily separated. And at that time, he used the term, my God. But here we have this unity returned, and he calls him Father again. Pretty significant. His punishment was paid. His assigned, purposeful, predestined role is finished. And he yelled that. It is finished. From that is the reunion with God. We can look at this not just as a transition of unity, but also a transition to peace. The suffering is over. It is finished. Ended the suffering. Those were the loud cries. I don't think these are the same loud cries. I think these are comparatively quiet. They're very quiet last words as the Son of Man, spoken by the Son of the Father. So summarized, this is what I see and this is what I hope to cover. That with the Father and Son both satisfied, Jesus leaves the cross. I'll say it again. With the Father and Son satisfied, Jesus leaves the cross. His body's still hanging. It too will be removed from the cross, but the essence of Jesus, Son of Man, his spirit exits. We can break this sentence down piece by piece, and that is what the sermon will attempt. Eight words in three parts. Father, into your hands is the first section. I commit the second, and then finally, my spirit. Father is so often such an affectionate word, but not to everybody. The luckiest of us 
have been loved by our father. My father was not a perfect man. He was far from perfect. He had plenty of faults that he would confess to if he were alive and with you today. But in his faults and in his glory, I love that man. Beyond what I thought I could love anything until I came to know Jesus Christ. And from that, through Jesus, I came to know how to really love. Not just Jesus, but also my father. Jesus forgives sins. Ah, my dad sinned. He did a lot of things that, you know, I, I'm not even proud of. But I loved him through him. And I know that comes at various experience for individuals. Even to the lower levels of, of people who have never known the love of their father. Could be that they never even knew their father. And I can't speak for everybody, but I do know quite a few people who didn't grow up in the homes that had a father, or at least a loving one. But even in those people, I so often heard, he was like a father to me. So they, they grabbed somebody, and somehow this notion of father is just in us. Saying things like, he was like the father I never had. You know, I know um, she's not in the room, and I didn't clear this with her, so I won't mention names. Um, but I do know somebody who, when she married, she had already lost her father. And she said, well, Lord, you're going to have to walk the aisle with me. So she knew this relationship with God. And if, if you didn't have a father to love, a, a human father to love, know that God the Father is there for you. And he loves you. And he'll care for you. He'll be everything that a father could possibly be for you. He's not just Christ's father. Ephesians 1 uh, verse 5, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. With, the, with belief in Jesus comes an adoption by the father. An adoption by a loving and caring father. Luke 11, 11 through 13 says it's, it's an example of the father's extended care. And it says, what father among you? If his son asks for a fish, will give him a serpent. Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? If he is that to us, then how much more of God's attributes of love and care are going to be there for his son Jesus when he prays to him from the cross? And speaking of love and care, let's think for a minute about the words into your hands. Where else would we rather be than in God's hands? To be held by his strong arm. Isaiah 64, 8, But now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. And Deuteronomy 4, 34, By a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And then I'll finish with Psalm 77, 15. 
You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. So being in the hand of God is having the ultimate protector's strength and care. If you want a picture of this, have you ever held a little kitten or, or hold a baby in your arms? Or a little grasshopper that you caught in the grass? It, I just did it there naturally. I cupped my hands. There's, there's a space in there for that grasshopper to live and, and nothing's going to come near it. Or if I'm holding the little kitten, I'm, I'm going to hold it close to me. It's in my arms and these are arms of protection. And then probably the best is, is a baby. And I've, I've seen it so often where a mother will hold a child and be threatened by anything. I once saw a, a pretty big vicious dog coming at this lady with her child. And what do you think is the natural, just, just pull it back and nothing's gonna happen to this child at the risk of my own life. I don't care, this baby's in my arms. Wouldn't even have to be my baby. I could hold any baby and under any threat, I'm gonna have that natural instinct. So if you could keep that image in your head, multiply it times a Googleplex, which is a really, really big number, and you're not even going to come close to what it's like to be in the Father's hands, the strength of the Father's arms. Always illuminating his life with Scripture. Even here we see in Psalm 31, 5a, that Jesus is living what is said he is supposed to. And those are very direct words. In uh, verse 5, the beginning of verse 5, it says, into your hand I commit my spirit. Isn't that good news? And the same Psalm 31, uh, verse 15, my times are in your hands. Amen. Jesus was so complete in fulfillment of Scripture and prophecy. Being in the Father's hands. Is anybody tempted right now to sing, got the whole world in your hands? We better not. We're going to try and keep this sermon short. Let's move on. Let's move on to I commit. Commit is the verb. It is the action of the sentence. He is not asking God to take his spirit. He is giving it. I commit. It's an action by the person. Jesus retains his power even at this moment. He retains his choice. He is choosing to give it. He has the will to give, and he has the authority to give. With all that, he still has an obedience of choosing the Father's will over his. His will wouldn't have been satisfied until all he had done, all his father had asked of him, was accomplished. He did, and he was. And my spirit, the last of the three. What is this spirit? Commentary by Murray J. Harris defined it well. He said, it's the spirit of life that animated his body. So he recognizes it as a spirit similar to what we have. As man, we have spirit. And Jesus as man had a man's spirit. 
still retaining his deity. From that passage that includes the memorable short verse, he wept, you'll find in John 11:35, we see why he wept in verse 33, what brought about the tears. He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Similarly, we could see that in John 13, 21, where he had told the disciples that one of them was going to betray him. And after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. And I'm convinced that this is evidence of him having spirit as we have spirit. Remember the promise to the thief on the cross? Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Uh, Luke 43. How could Jesus, or how could that be if Jesus had not been in heaven that very day? But we know that his body was buried on that day. So it was in spirit that he's in heaven. At death, the spirit returns to God. Bible says so in Ecclesiastes 12, 7. And the dust shall return to the earth as it was. And the spirit returns to God who gave it. This is not the Holy Spirit. It's not the Holy Spirit that Jesus committed to the Father. It was his animated, the spirit of life that animated his body. That is the spirit that he gave up. The Holy Spirit would come to us later. It's a different spirit than just man's spirit. So allow me to give you some application for each of those breakdowns. And then a few closing thoughts. Father into your hands. Simply put, he's our father too. Listen to John 10, 27 through 30. It'll be my only comment on that. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they will follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And then commit. I commit. Paratithemi in Greek. First person singular. Jesus and Jesus alone committed his spirit. Wasn't taken. Well, I ask to you, what do you commit? If you're not a believer here this morning, have you heard anything that suggests you could commit yourself to Christ? To give up what you're holding tightly to and trade for the eternal life as promised by Jesus. If you were to give up everything you have to the world, it would probably look like some scam artist milked you out of all your belongings. Christ doesn't want all your belongings. Tim said this morning, you don't want your money. He wants you. He wants to be above all those things. But mostly he wants you. He wants you to fully commit to him. He wants your heart. He wants you as a person. You can ask the many believers here today. It is a commitment that is well worth it. And speaking of the many believers here today, the followers of Christ, 
I ask, has your commitment to Christ changed? Hopefully it has. And this is what I mean. I'm not hopeful that you've backslid. If you have, Christ can lift you if you ask him. Instead, I'm hopeful that your maturity has caused a greater commitment that each day you grow closer and closer to God and Christ. That his word, scripture, breathes more life into you. That your prayers grow more personal and your confidence in his answers grow stronger by the day. That is the sanctification process. Your part in salvation is agreeing with God about your sin and believing on Christ. Paratithemy, I commit, is your part of sanctification. And then a couple words on my spirit. We can't ignore the rest of verse 46. And after saying this, he breathed his last. Death did not destroy Jesus. Jesus knew that was coming. The rest of the story. What we have been looking at in our Christ said what on the cross series is a story of Good Friday. It is fitting that we just experienced Good Friday on the third day ago. But today isn't Good Friday. What we saw was the first leg of a three-legged stool. The stool that can't stand with only one or two, but needs all three legs. That first leg is Christ's death on a cross. The second leg is the Easter resurrection, where he overcame death and rose again in bodily form. Death could not conquer him. He conquered it. He is risen. Amen. And there is the third leg, the ascension to the right hand of God where he reigns with all power. With all three legs in place, we have the solid salvation story. We have a king in heaven and Jesus who took away the sins of the world. The sins we inherit from Adam and the sins we have committed on our own accord. the sins that tore us apart from our holy God, who is sinless. Christ suffered for those sins. He paid an extreme price so we wouldn't have to. And all we need to do is believe. We agree with him. The, the price might feel very expensive. The cross, we are told we must each bear, might seem heavy. That is, until you submit to him and his sovereignty, then in that submission, you will know that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Let's pray. Lord God, into your hands I commit our thoughts, actions, and our body. I pray you sanctify them as holy, set apart for your purposes, for the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Breathe new commitment into us, Lord. On this day that celebrates resurrection, renew our spirit, our longing to follow you. Grant us good fellowship as we go out from this gathering. Lord, bless our conversations with friends and loved ones to be purposeful. Display in us the love of Christ 
that knows no bounds. Amen.